Nikki raked her pink-tipped toenails through the gravel. I need a job, she said. The babysitting thing didn't work out? I'd passed on all the job offers I hadn't taken to my sister. As of that morning, she'd been working for a family down the street. Nikki shook her head wordlessly, leaving me to fill in the blanks. The father had tried to grab her butt. The mother wanted her to empty the dishwasher while the kids were napping. The kids were brats, or some combination of A, B, and C, or, more likely, one parent or the other had asked with too much cloying sympathy, How are things at home? Lavish landscaping's always hiring, I offered. Nikki grunted something unintelligible and arranged a towel under her head. Even when she was annoyed, she was adorable, with her brown hair permed into corkscrew curls and a tiny heart-shaped face to go along with her slender frame. All of the cute jeans floating around in our collective pool had gone to her, whereas I'd cleaned up in the big, bosomy, awkward, and acne-prone department. No physical labor, she pouted. I reached for the newspaper our mother had tucked underneath her chair and flipped to the classified ads. Avon convalescent home, that would be easy. Just feed the oldsters their mush, wheel them around a little bit. Nikki's scowl deepened. Josie? She breathed in the fake patient tone that signaled a full-blown tantrum was on the way. You know how I feel about old people. She reached for her baby oil and smoothed a dollop onto one hairless calf. About all people, actually. I turned back to the ads. The state park system is looking for seasonal workers. No people, said Nikki, shuddering. I don't want to spend my whole day telling a bunch of idiots where they can swim or how to find the hiking trails. She reached for the tube of generic suntan lotion and squirted it vigorously onto her legs. I pressed on. It says here they're looking for maintainers. What's that? I took my best guess. You wouldn't have to deal with the people, just their messes. Nikki gave a noncommittal snort. You might not have to talk to anyone. You could just walk through the woods all day and spear garbage on a stick. She sat up, intrigued by the image of the cool woods and a job that would pay her to poke things. Huh. Outhouses, said John. What? asked Nikki. I explained, well, there probably aren't bathrooms in the woods. Nikki grimaced. No outhouses, she cried. She flung her baby oil onto the gravel and flopped furiously under her stomach. Why, oh why, do you all torture me so? She murmured into the cushion. Milo, our bulldog, strolled over to investigate the commotion. He approached cautiously to sniff Nikki's foot, but his stentorian breathing gave him away. Nikki waved her arm. Go away, dog, she yelled. Milo shuffled sadly down the sloping hill that led to the deck at the back of our house as our mother raised her head from the water. You could work at Friendly's. Nikki was momentarily silenced, as if the irony was too great for her to decide immediately between one of several replies. Finally, she arrived at, Who invited you into this conversation? Mom smiled and shook water out of her ears. I was listening to you when I was swimming. Nikki was spoiling for a fight. You can't hear underwater. Sure I can. She did a showy backward somersault in the shallow end and popped her dripping head back up. You could work at Friendly's, she repeated. They need an ice cream scooper. 
it was left to me to point out the obvious. The thing is, Nikki's not very friendly. Nikki swung around eagerly. I am friendly, she insisted. She peered into the backyard until she located Milo on the deck, underneath the shade of the picnic table, splayed on his belly and snoring. Come here, sweet puppy, she cooed. Milo continued to snore. Milo, she called. The dog lifted his massive head and stared at Nikki distrustfully. Oh, sweet Milo, she sang. Mom watched from the water as Milo lowered his head until his jowls rested on the deck and went back to sleep. John laughed. Nikki shoved herself off her lounge chair and stomped across the gravel to the fence, dividing the pool from the yard. Dog, she hollered. Milo heaved himself to his feet and trotted briskly toward the back door. Nikki spared me a murderous look. The cordless telephone on top of Mom's towel started ringing. The sound cut through the sticky air, silencing John's laughter and Nikki's yells. My sister stiffened. John turned away, biting his lip, and Mom ducked back under the water, gliding down the length of the pool without a breath. When the ringing finally stopped, my sister stomped back across the gravel and snatched up the telephone. She flopped onto her chair, punched in some numbers, and said, Yes, in Avon, Connecticut, a listing for friendlies, please. This was the summer of 1988. I was 19 years old, thick of thigh and sunburned of face, home from my freshman year at college. My parents, who'd still been, at least nominally, together in the fall, had both dropped me off on campus in September, but I'd taken trains back. A little train from campus to the Princeton station, a bigger train from the station to New York City, then an Amtrak train up past New Rochelle and New Haven to Hartford. My sister met me on the sidewalk and drove me home to Summersby in our big yellow house with the black shutters on Wicket Way. Nikki had gotten her license that spring, but she still looked like a little kid pretending to drive as she sat behind the wheel of our mother's green station wagon. Brace yourself, she said, as she swung the car, tires squealing down our street and into our driveway. The paint on our house was peeling. The lawn was ragged and overgrown, dotted with dandelions and Queen Anne's lace. Someone, Nikki, I suspected, had backed into our mailbox. The wooden post supporting it was splintered and the whole thing listed to the left, looking like at any minute it would just give up and collapse onto the street. Things inside weren't much better. By my first night home, I'd realized that my brother had basically stopped speaking. My sister seemed to be a perpetual ten seconds away from punching someone, and my mother spent more of her time underwater than on land. When she wasn't doing laps, she was teaching summer school algebra to kids who'd flunked it the first time around and ignoring the telephone. I mowed my way through June and July, reading the entire over of Judith Krantz in my spare time in the air-conditioned library, scrunched into a carol along the back wall, trying to avoid my current neighbors and former classmates. When John got invited to a dance at the country club, I used a library book to figure out how to tie a tie. When the water heater broke, I cashed in the State of Israel bonds for my bat mitzvah and gave my mother the money to repair it. I'd been expecting an outsized emotional outpouring of gratitude, something like the scene in Little Women where Joe sells her hair to pay for her mother's trip to her sick husband's bedside. Instead, my mother had just slipped the money under her towel, nodded her thanks, and done a shallow dive back into the deep end. 
She swam and seemed not to notice that the azure blue tiles were falling off the edge of the pool, and the water was an odd shade of green now that we could no longer afford the maintenance service and couldn't get the chemicals quite right. She'd do laps until eight or sometimes nine o'clock at night, after the sun had set and the thick night air came alive with fireflies. Once, a flock of bats had exploded up from the field behind the house and fluttered over the water, flapping their wings and squeaking. She'd churn out lap after lap, mile after mile, as a telephone shrilled and then subsided, and the three of us sat on our lounge chairs, bundled up in damp towels, watching her. Nikki shocked all of us by making and keeping an appointment for an interview at Friendly's. She was hired on the spot as a scoop girl. It was, she assured us, ideal for her. She'd be working in front of freezers to keep her cool and behind a long, stainless steel counter to keep the pesky people at bay. Waitresses passed her written slips or called out their requests. Nikki made the requisite dish and then flicked a switch that lit up a number on a flashboard, and the waitress would whisk the sundaes and cones and fribbles away. I'd stop by for lunch between lawns and find Nikki, clad in a short blue-and-white gingham dress and a frilly white apron, bent over the caskets of fudge ripple and strawberry delight, the muscles in her skinny arms working valiantly to dislodge the ice cream. Get out of there, you! She'd mutter into the tubs. When she'd gotten the ice cream loose, she'd stand up with a dish in her hand, pivoting swiftly on sticky sneakers between the hot fudge dispenser and the plastic containers of Jimmy's and Reese's Pieces and Maraschino cherries. On her chest, like medals for valor, she had pinned brightly colored, friendly supplied buttons, a new one each week bearing slogans like, Buy one, get one free, ask me, or try a conehead. The one